Section six of About Orchids A Chat. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Yearsley. About Orchids A Chat by Frederick Boyle. Chapter four. Cool Orchids. Section two. The genus Cypripedium, Lady's Slipper, is perhaps more widely scattered over the globe than any other class of plant. I, at least, am acquainted with none that approaches it, from China to Peru, nay, beyond, from Archangel to Torres Straits. But it is wise to avoid these semi-poetic descriptions. In brief, if we accept Africa and the temperate parts of Australia, there is no large tract of country in the world that does not produce cypripediums, and few authorities doubt that a larger acquaintance with those realms will bring them under the rule. We have a species in England, Cypripedium calceolus, by no means insignificant. It can be purchased from the dealers, but it is almost extinct in this country now. America furnishes a variety of species, which ought to be hardy. They will bear a frost below zero, but our winter damp is intolerable. Mr. Godseff tells me that he has seen Cypripedium spectabile growing like any waterweed in the bogs of New Jersey, where it is frozen hard, roots and all, for several months of the year. But very few survive the season in this country, even if protected. Those fine specimens, so common at our spring shows, are imported in the dry state. From the United States also we get the charming C. candidum, C. parviflorum, C. pubescens, and many more less important. Canada and Siberia furnish C. gutatum, C. macranthum, and others. I saw in Russia, and brought home, a magnificent species, tall and stately, bearing a great golden flower, which is not known in the trade, but they all rotted gradually. Therefore I do not recommend these fine outdoor varieties, which the inexperienced are apt to think so easy. At the same cost, others may be brought which, coming from the highlands of hot countries, are used to a moderate damp in winter. Foremost of these, perhaps the oldest of cool orchids in cultivation, is Cypripedium insigne, from Nepal. Everyone knows its original type, which has grown so common that I remarked a healthy pot at a window-garden exhibition some years ago in Westminster. One may say that this, the early and familiar form, has no value at present, so many fine varieties have been introduced. A reader may form a notion of the difference when I state that a small plant of exceptional merit sold for thirty guineas a short time ago. It was Cypripedium insigne, but glorified. This ranks among the fascination of orchid culture. You may buy a lot of some common kind, imported, at a price representing coppers for each individual, and among them may appear, when they come to bloom, an eccentricity which sells for a hundred pounds or more. The experienced collector has a volume of such legends. There is another side to the question, truly, but it does not personally interest the class which I address. To make a choice among numberless stories of this sort, we may take the instance of Cypripedium spicerianum. It turned up among a quantity of Cypripedium insigne in the greenhouse of Mrs. Spicer, a lady residing at Twickenham. Astonished at the appearance of this swan among her ducks, she asked Mr. Veitch to look at it. He was delighted to pay seventy guineas down for such a prize. Cypripediums propagate easily. No more examples came into the market, and for some years this lovely species was a treasure for dukes and millionaires. It was no secret that the precious novelty came from Mrs. Spicer's greenhouse, but to call on a strange lady 
and demand how she became possessed of a certain plant is not a course of action that commends itself to respectable businessmen. The circumstances gave no clue. Messrs. Spicer were and are large manufacturers of paper. There is no visible connection betwixt paper and Indian orchids. By discreet inquiries, however, it was ascertained that one of the lady's sons had a tea plantation in Assam. No more was needed. By the next mail Mr. Forsterman started for that vague destination, and in process of time reached Mr. Spicer's bungalow. There he asked for a job. None could be found for him. But tea planters are hospitable, and the stranger was invited to stop for a day or two. But he could not lead the conversation towards orchids, perhaps because his efforts were too clever, perhaps because his host took no interest in the subject. One day, however, Mr. Spicer's manager invited him to go shooting, and casually remarked, "'We shall pass the spot where I found those orchids they're making such a fuss about at home.' Be sure Mr. Forsterman was alert that morning. Thus put upon the track, he discovered quantities of it, bade the tea-planter adieu, and went to work. But in the very moment of triumph a tiger barred the way. His coolies bolted, and nothing would persuade them to go further. Mr. Forsterman was no shikari, but he felt himself called upon to uphold the cause of science and the honour of England at this juncture. In great agitation he went for that feline, and, in short, its skin still adorns Mrs. Sanders' drawing-room. Thus it happened that on a certain Thursday a small pot of C. Spicerianum was sold, as usual, for sixty guineas at Stevens's. On the Thursday following all the world could buy fine plants at a guinea. Cypripedium is the favourite orchid of the day. It has every advantage except, to my perverse mind, brilliancy of colour. None show a whole tone. Even the lovely C. niveum is not pure white. My views, however, find no backing. At all other points the genus deserves to be a favourite. In the first place it is the most interesting of all orchids to science. Then its endless variations of form, its astonishing oddities, its wide range of hues, its easy culture, its readiness to hybridise and to ripen seed, the certainty, by comparison, of rearing the proceeds. Each of these merits appeals to one or other of orchid growers. Many of the species which come from torrid lands, indeed, are troublesome, but with such we are not concerned. The cool varieties will do well anywhere, provided they receive water enough in summer, and not too little in winter. I do not speak of the American and Siberian classes, which are nearly hopeless for the amateur, nor of the Hong Kong Cypripedium purpuratum, a very puzzling example. On the role of martyrs to orchidology, Mr. Pierce stands high. To him we owe, among many fine things, the hybrid begonias, which are becoming such favourites for bedding and other purposes. He discovered the three original types, parents of the innumerable garden flowers now on sale, begonia piercei, B. vicii, and B. boliviensis. It was his great luck and great honour to find Mastavalia vicii, so long, so often, so laboriously searched for from that day to this, but never even heard of. To collect another shipment of that glorious orchid, Mr. Pierce sailed for Peru, in the service, I think, of Mr. Bull. Unhappily, for us all, as well as for himself, he was detained at Panama. Somewhere in those parts there is a magnificent cypripedium, with which we are acquainted only by the dried inflorescence, named planifolium. 
The poor fellow could not resist this temptation. They told him at Panama that no white man had returned from the spot, but he went on. The Indians brought him back some days or weeks later without the prize, and he died on arrival. Oncidiums also are a product of the New World exclusively. In fact, of the four classes most useful to amateurs, three belong wholly to America, and the fourth in great part. I resist the temptation to include Mastavalia, because that genus is not so perfectly easy as the rest. But if it be added, nine-tenths, assuredly, of the plants in our cool house come from the West. Among the special merits of the Oncidium is its colour. I have heard thoughtless persons complain that they are all yellow, which, as a statement of fact, is near enough to the truth, for about three-fourths may be so described roughly. But this dispensation is another proof of nature's kindly regard for the interests of our science. A clear, strong, golden yellow is the colour that would have been wanting in our cool houses had not the Oncidium supplied it. Shades of lemon and buff are frequent among odontoglossums, but, in a rough, general way of speaking, they have a white ground. Mastavalias give us scarlet and orange and purple, Lycastes, green and dull yellow, Sophronotis, crimson, Mesospinidium, rose, and so forth. Blue must not be looked for. Even counting the new Utricularia for an orchid, as most people do, there are, I think, but five species that will live among us at present, in all the prodigious family, showing this colour, and every one of them is very hot. Thus it appears that the Oncidium fills a gap, and how gloriously! There is no such pure gold in the scheme of the universe as it displays under fifty shapes wondrously varied. Thus Oncidium macranthum, one is continually tempted to exclaim, as one or other glory of the orchid world recurs to mind, that it is the supreme triumph of floral beauty. I have sinned thus, and I know it. Therefore let the reader seek an opportunity to behold O. Macanthrum, and judge for himself. But it seems to me that nature gives us a hint. As though proudly conscious what a marvel it will unfold, this superb flower often demands nine months to perfect itself. Dr. Wallace told me of an instance in his collection where eighteen months elapsed from the appearance of the spike until the opening of the first bloom. But it lasts a time proportionate. Nature forestalled the dreams of aesthetic colorists when she designed Oncidium macranthum. Thus, and not otherwise, would the thoughtful of them arrange a harmony in gold and bronze. But nature, with characteristic indifference to the fancies of mankind, hid her chef d'oeuvre in the wilds of Ecuador. Hardly less striking, however, though perhaps less beautiful, are its sisters of the small-lipped species, Oncidium serratum, O. superbiens, and O. sculptum. This last is rarely seen. As with others of its class, the spike grows very long, twelve feet perhaps, if it were allowed to stretch. The flowers are small, comparatively, clear, bronze-brown, highly polished, so closely and daintily frilled round the edges that a fairy goffering iron could not give more regular effects, and outlined by a narrow band of gold. Oncidium serratum has a much larger bloom, but less compact, rather fly-away indeed, 
its sepals widening gracefully from a narrow neck. Excessively curious is the disposition of the petals, which close their tips to form a circle of brown and gold around the column. The purpose of this extraordinary arrangement, unique among orchids, I believe, will be discovered one day, for purpose there is, no doubt. To judge by analogy, it may be supposed that the insect upon which Oncidium serratum depends for fertilization likes to stand upon this ring while thrusting its proboscis into the nectary. The fourth of these fine species, Oncidium superbiens, ranks among the grandest of flowers. Knowing its own value, it rarely consents to oblige. The dusty green sepals are margined with yellow, petals white, clouded with pale purple, lip very small, of course purple, surmounted by a great golden crest. Most strange and curious is Oncidium fuscatum, of which the shape defies description. Seen from the back, it shows a floriated cross of equal limbs, but in front the nethermost is hidden by a spreading lip, very large proportionately. The prevailing tint is a dun purple, but each arm has a broad white tip. Dun purple also is the centre of the labellum edged with a distinct band of lighter hue, which again, towards the margin, becomes white. These changes of tone are not gradual, but as clear as a brush could make them. Botanists must long to dissect this extraordinary flower, but the opportunity seldom occurs. It is desperately puzzling to understand how nature has packed away the component parts of its inflorescence, so as to resolve them into four narrow arms and a labellum, but the colouring of this plant is not always dull. In the small botanic garden at Florence, by Santa Maria Maggiore, I remarked with astonishment an Oncidium fuscatum, of which the lip was scarlet crimson, and the other tints bright to match. That collection is admirably grown, but orchids are still scarce in Italy. The society did not know what a prize it had secured by chance. The genus Oncidium has perhaps more examples of a startling combination in hues than any other, but one must speak thoughtfully and cautiously upon such points. I have not to deal with culture, but one hint may be given. Gardeners who have a miscellaneous collection to look after often set themselves against an experiment in orchid growing, because these plants suffer terribly from greenfly and other pests, and will not bear smoking. To keep them clean and healthy by washing demands labour for which they have no time. This is a very reasonable objection, but though the smoke of tobacco is actually ruination, no plant whatever suffers from the steam thereof. An ingenious Frenchman has invented and patented in England lately a machine called the Thanatophore, which I confidently recommend. It can be obtained from Monsieur B. S. Williams of Upper Holloway. The Thanatophore destroys every insect within reach of its vapour, excepting curiously enough scaly bug, which, however, does not persecute cool orchids much. The machine may be obtained in different sizes through any good ironmonger. To sum up, these plants ask nothing in return for the measureless enjoyment they give, but light, shade from the summer sun, protection from the winter frost, moisture, and brains. I am allowed to print a letter which bears upon several points to which I have alluded. It is not cheerful reading for the enthusiast. He will be apt to cry, Would that the difficulties and perils were infinitely graver, so grave that the collecting grounds might have a rest for twenty years. January the 19th, 1893
dear sir i have received your two letters asking for cattleya laurentiana pancratium guianense and catasetum pileatum kindly excuse my answering your letters only to-day but i have been away in the interior and on my return was sick beside other business taking up my time i was unable to write until to-day now let me give you some information concerning orchid collecting in this colony six or seven years ago just when the gold industry was starting very few people ever ventured into the far interior boats river hands and indians could be hired at ridiculously low prices and travelling and bartering paid wages for indians being about a shilling per day and all found the same for river hands captains and boatswains to pilot the boat through the rapids up and down for sixty-four cents a day to-day you have got to pay sixty-four to eighty cents per day for indians and river hands captains and boatswains two dollars the former and one dollar fifty the latter per day and then you often cannot get them boat hire used to be eight dollars to ten dollars for a big boat for three to four months to-day five dollars six dollars and seven dollars per day and all through the rapid development of the gold industry as you can calculate twenty-five days river travel to get within reach of the savannah lands you can reckon what the expenses must be and then again about five to seven days coming down the river and a couple of days to lay over then you must count two trips like this one to bring you up and one to bring you down three months after when you return with your collection beside this you run the risk of losing your boat in the rapids either way which happens not very unfrequently either going or coming and we have not only to record the loss of several boats with goods etc every month but generally to record the loss of life only two cases happening last month in one case seven in the other twelve men losing their lives besides river hands and blacks will not go up further than the boats can travel and nothing will induce them to go among the indians being afraid of getting poisoned by indians kaiserimas or strangled so you have to rely utterly on indians which you often cannot get as the district of roraima is very poorly inhabited and most of the indians died by smallpox and measles breaking out among them four years ago and those that survived left the district and you will find whole districts nearly uninhabited about five years ago i went up with mr osmers to roraima but he broke down before we reached the savannah he lay there for a week and i gave him up he recovered however and dragged himself into the savannah near roraima about three days distant from it where i left him here we found and made a splendid collection of about three thousand first-class plants of different kinds while i was going up to roraima he stayed in the savannah still too sick to go further at roraima i collected everything except cattleya laurentiana which was utterly rooted out already by former collectors on my return to osmer's camp i found him more dead than alive thrown down by a new attack of sickness but not alone that i also found him abandoned by most of our indians who had fled on account of the canaima having killed three of their number so mr osmers who got soon better and i made up our baskets with plants and made everything ready our indians returning partly i sent him ahead with as many loads as we could carry i staying behind with the rest of baskets of plants had all our indians come back we would have been all right but this not being the case i had to stay until the indians returned and fetched me off after this we got back all right this was before the sickness broke out among the indians last year i went up with mr cromer who met me going up river while i was coming down so i joined him we got up all right to the river's head but here our troubles began 
as we got only about eight Indians to go on with us, who had worked in the gold diggings, and no others could be had, the district being abandoned. We had to pay them half a dollar a day to carry loads, so we pushed on, carrying part of our loads, leaving the rest of our cargo behind, until we reached the savannah, when we had to send them back several times to get the balance of our goods. From the time we reached the savannah we were starving, more or less, as we could procure only very little provisions. We hunted all about for Cattleya Lorenziana, and got only about fifteen hundred or so, it growing only here and there. At Roraima we did not hunt at all, as the district is utterly rubbed out by the Indians. We were about fourteen days at Roraima, and got plenty of Utricularia Cambelliana, U. Humboldtii, and U. Montana, also Zygopetalum, Cypripedium lindleanum, Oncidium nigratum, only fifty, very rare now, Cypripedium schomburgkianum, Zygopetalum burkii, and in fact all that is to be found on and about Roraima, except the Cattleya Lorenziana, also plenty others as Sobralia, Liliastrum, etc. So our collection was not a very great one. We had the hardest trouble now through the want of Indians to carry the loads. Beside this, the rainy weather set in, and our loads suffered badly for all the care we took of them. Besides, the Indians got disagreeable, having to go back several times to bring the remaining baskets. Nevertheless, we got down as far as the Kurubing Mountains. Up to this time we were more or less always starving. Arrived at the Kurubing Mountains, procured a scant supply of provisions, but lost nearly all of them in a small creek, and what was saved was spoiling under our eyes it being then that the rainy season had fully started, drenching us from morning to night. It took us nine days to get our loads over the mountain, where our boat was to reach us, to take us down river, and we were for two and a half days entirely without food. Besides the plants being damaged by stress of weather, the Indians had opened the baskets and thrown partly the loads away, not being able to carry the heavy soaked-through baskets over the mountains, so making us lose the best of our plants. Arrived at our landing, we had to wait for our boat, which arrived a week later in consequence of the river being high, and, of course, short of provisions. Still, we got away with what we had of our loads until we reached the first gold places, kept by a friend of mine, who supplied us with food. Thereafter we started for town. Halfway at Kapuri Falls, one of the most dangerous, we swamped down over a rock, and so we lost some of our things. Still, saved all our plants, though they lay for a few hours under water with the boat. After this we reached town in safety. So, after coming home, we found on packing up that we had only about nine hundred plants, that is, Cattleya Lorenziana, of which about one-third good, one-third medium, and one-third poor quality. This trip took us about three and a half months, and cost over two thousand five hundred dollars, Besides, I, having poisoned my leg on a rotten stump, which I run up in my foot, lay for four months, suffering terrible pain. You will, of course, see from this that orchid hunting is no pleasure, as you, of course, know, but what I want to point out to you is that Cattleya Lorenziana is very rare in the interior now. The river expense is fearfully high, in fact unreasonably high, on account of the gold-digging. Labourers getting sixty-four cents to one dollar per day, and all found. No Indians to be got, and those that you can get at ridiculous prices, and getting them, too, by working on places where they build and thatch houses and clear the ground from underbush, and as huntsmen for gold-diggers. 
even if Mr. Cromer had succeeded to get three thousand or four thousand fine Cattleya Lorenziana, it would have been of no value to us, as we could not have got anybody to carry them to the river, where a boat could reach. Besides this, I must also tell you that there is a license to be paid out here if you want to collect orchids, amounting to one hundred dollars, which Mr. Cromer had to pay, and also an export tax duty of two cents per piece so that orchid-collecting is made a very expensive affair. Besides its success being very doubtful, even if a man is very well acquainted with Indian life, and has visited the savannah reaches year after year, we spent something over $2,500 to $2,900, including Mr. Cromer's and Steigfer's passage out on our last expedition. If you want to get any Lorenziana, you will have to send yourself, and as I said before, the results will be very doubtful. As far as I myself am concerned, I am interested, besides my baking business, in the gold diggings, and shall go up to the savannah in a few months. I can give you first-class references if you should be willing to send an expedition, and we could come to some arrangement. At least, you would save the expenses of the passage of one of your collectors. I may say that I am quite conversant with the way of packing orchids, and handling them as well, for travel as shipment. Kindly excuse, therefore, my lengthy letter and its bad writing, and if you should be inclined to go in for an expedition, just send me a list of what you require, and I will tell you whether the plants are found along the route of travel, and in the savannah visited. As, for instance, Cattleya superba does not grow at all in the district where Cattleya Lorenziana is to be found, but far further south. Before closing, I beg you to let me know the prices of about twenty-five of the best of, and prettiest, South American orchids, which I want for my own collection as Cattleya medellii, Cattleya trianae, Odontoglossum crispum, Miltonia vexillaria, Cattleya labiata, and so on. I shall wait your answer as soon as possible, and send you a list by last mail of what is to be got in this colony. We also found on our last list something new, a very large bulb Donchidium, or maybe Catasetum, on the top of Roraima, where we spent a night, but got only two specimens, one of which got lost, and the other one I left in the hands of Mr. Rodway, but so we tried our best. It decayed, having been too seriously damaged to revive and flower, and so enable us to see what it was, it not being in flower when found. Awaiting your kind reply, yours truly, Sealer. P.S. If you should send out one of your collectors or require any information, I shall be glad to give it. One of the most experienced collectors, Monsieur Oversluys, writes from the Rio de Yanayaka, January 1893. Here it is absolutely necessary that one goes himself into the woods ahead of the peons, who are quite cowards to enter the woods, and not altogether without reason, for the larger part of them get sick here. And it is very hard to enter, nearly impenetrable and full of insects which make fresh-coming people to get cracked and mad. I have from the waist down not a place to put in a shilling piece which is not a wound through the very small red spider and other insects. Also my people are the same. Of the five men I took out, two have got fever already, and one ran back. Tomorrow I expect other peons, but not a single one from Mengabamba. It is a trouble to get men who will come into the woods, and I cannot have more than eight or ten to work with, because when I should not be continually behind them or ahead, they do nothing. It is not a question of money to do good here, but merely luck and the way one treats people, the peons will come out less for their salaries than for good and plenty of food, which is very difficult to find in these scarce times. 
the plants are here one by one and we have got but one tree with three plants they are on the highest and biggest trees and these must be cut down with axes below are all shrubs full of climbers and lianas about a finger width every step must be cut to advance and the ground cleared below the high trees in order to spy the branches it is a very difficult job nature has well protected this cattleya nobody can like this kind of work the poor man ends abruptly i will write when i can the mosquitoes don't leave me a moment the end of section six of about orchids a chat